Song 50. Thank you for marking that, and we will make reference to that, of course, later in the service as we close the lesson and offer a word of invitation. As has already been mentioned, how great it is. It's the first day of the week today, the second Sunday, not only in the month of January, but also in the year of 2020. And we're thankful that God has blessed us with the opportunity, yea, the privilege of assembly, such that we can offer to Him our heartfelt praise and adoration. As you know from the title on the wall behind me, What Wait I For? Psalm 39, and I hope that you have your Bible still open to that chapter. We will make reference to a few of the things found within it as we challenge ourselves with that interesting question, What Wait I For? This opening slide is really an introduction to the lesson in the following way. It's a bit interesting the number of ways that you and I can use the word wait. In fact, I've just selected two out of a host of other ones that could well be utilized, but you'll notice that if you go to a restaurant, you may have reference to someone who waits on your table. That is the server, the individual who brings your food to you. That's one way we might employ the word wait. But secondarily, you might note this one. You and I may have done it yesterday as we perhaps seek a place and wait out a storm. Well, those are two very different usages of the word wait. But the one that is seemingly most often in the Bible and the one that we shall study in some detail today is defined as you can see next on the slide. That particular appreciation in which... A person remains inactive. A person, in fact, remains in a state of indecision or delay because of some event expected to happen or a person expected, in fact, to arrive. We know what it means to wait following that definition. Maybe you've often waited upon someone because you were supposed to meet with them at a certain time and place and they're a bit delayed and so you wait for them. So it is. Let's close that slide like this. There's a lot of times we wait in our service to God. We remain in a state of indecision. We remain in a state of inactivity. We're waiting, although we know what we ought to do. We know exactly what needs to be done, but we don't do it. We wait. What might be some reasons that prompt us to wait like this? May I offer that not only does this, of course, touch perhaps all of us as Christians, but it certainly can rest upon the heart and mind of those who've never obeyed the gospel. Maybe you remember the time in your life when you knew what needed to be done to obey the gospel. Maybe you had heard it in many lessons, and maybe your parents had encouraged you in that way, and yet months went by and you never did it. What am I waiting for? What am I waiting for? That question is actually asked in the Bible, and it was the lesson text of the morning today. Cale read that from Psalm 39. If you'd be turning back to that chapter, we will now proceed to look at a few things about waiting. Let's close that slide and perhaps say it like this. How many folks, I wonder, on the Day of Judgment are going to be verdict, found verdict of lost, despite the fact the person knew what needed to be done, perhaps had had opportunities on many occasions to do it, but had never done it. What were they waiting for? What would you and I be waiting for? 
I might be in that category. You might be in the category. Realistically, what are we waiting for? Beginning on this next slide, there are several things that perhaps you and I have had across our heart, and maybe there have been things that others have shared with us, things that have prompted them to wait. Let's study about them today. Someone might offer the thought, when I have come to a certain level of knowledge, or when I have arrived at a certain point of understanding, then, then I will make this decision. Then I will follow through with these activities. I've simply entitled it, Waiting to Know More. As you can well tell on that slide, let me again say this. There are still many circumstances in which an individual knows exactly what needs to be done. The gospel plan of salvation, for example, is very simple. It is not as if it requires a doctorate in logical Greek to understand it. It is not as if it requires an extensive amount of appreciation in rather particular and detailed matters. As you and I have often noted, and as Jesus, in fact, exemplified Himself, how often in the book of Acts do we find individuals who, quite frankly, had very little background in anything related to the truth? They heard the gospel one time, and they obeyed it. One time. They on the day of Pentecost, for example. Here were individuals who had had a background, admittedly, in Judaism, and therefore they were strongly steeped in Judaistic ideas. But how often had they ever heard the gospel? The death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. After all, the Lord had only died a few weeks previous. And not only that, Peter had stood up along with the other eleven and preached majestically that day, and about 3,000 of them. First gospel sermon ever preached, and about 3,000 of them responded. They cried out, men and brethren, what shall we do? Did you notice they weren't waiting? Now may I say, there were no doubt many other thousands that were there who did choose to wait. I wonder if they died lost. The book of Acts doesn't tell us a lot more about them, but put yourself along with me in that situation today. Would you and I have been among the number waiting? Or would we have been the num among the number who responded in faith? Let's develop some of those thoughts on this slide. I've invited you to think about that Acts 2.38 passage, but that certainly isn't the only one. In Acts chapter 8, we have that beautiful record of a eunuch an Ethiopian nobleman who had traveled a far distance coming to worship, but all he knew was what you and I would recognize as the Old Testament. Philip joined himself by inspiration of the Spirit to the chariot, and the man had a question. You may remember Philip said, Do you understand what you're reading? And the eunuch said, How can I except some man guide me? Did you notice? Here was a fertile heart ready to appreciate. And did you notice in the moments that followed, as Philip shared with him Jesus, it was the man who said, it was the eunuch who said, here's water. Philip didn't have to point to the water. The eunuch did it. That's one of those instances in which the audience stopped the preacher in mid-sermon and said, I know enough. I need to be baptized. Don't you have an appreciation for that urgency? The eunuch did not want to wait. Therefore, there was no good answer to what wait I for. Let's close that slide like this. 
we would all agree that there are some few basic things that we must know in order to properly obey the gospel. As far as that alien sinner, you've got to know that Jesus is the Savior. Didn't Jesus say, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved? You've got to believe something. And Jesus particularly said in John 8, 24, you've got to believe I'm He. I'm the Messiah. I'm the Savior. I'm the one come from God. A belief in that prompts then an appreciation of repentance and confession and baptism. That person that knows that knows enough. We don't need to be waiting. Eternity might well come, and then it'll be too late. To close that slide perhaps prompts this thought. Isn't it also true that those who feel as if they should wait because they want to know more or have a deeper understanding, isn't it true that once one obeys the gospel, the Lord has promised, I'll be with you, and I will thus prompt your appreciation, and I'll assist you in your understanding then. You and I make a serious mistake if we then approach upon a matter that we wait. What wait I for? Would you notice again Psalm 39, verse number 7. And now, Lord, what wait I for? David was asking the question, What should I wait for in the effort and in the intensity of serving Thee? As you and I shall see, he had no good answer. How many today will not have any good answer? They wait for a better time and perhaps another opportunity. Perhaps they are waiting to know more. What about a second answer? Maybe you've heard this one. Maybe you and I have had it cross our mind. Knowing again exactly what I need to do, but I sure will think I'll wait for a better convenient time. When circumstances are more favorable when all the particulars are more lined up in such a way that this seems right. What about the old waiting for a convenient time? Let's develop that thought like this. I would say that perhaps in discussion there are many times that strange answers are given to this one. You know, I know I need to obey the gospel, but the weather is just it's too cold today. It's too hot today. It's too windy today. And they will wait for what they consider to be an ample opportunity for a more convenient season, a more convenient time. Perhaps others will say, the timing just didn't right. You know, I think I'm going to wait till Easter Sunday. Has anyone ever told you something like that? Maybe again you and I have thought it. Waiting for a more convenient time. Now, that's not only in matters of obeying the gospel initially. Maybe I need to be rededicated, but you know, I wish my brother were here. I wish the rest of my family were here. I think I'll wait till they can all be here with me. You know, one could lapse into eternity, and that Sunday's never going to come when they're all there. What am I waiting for? When you and I give thought to what wait I for, Maybe we should ask the Lord's impression of this. Jesus said in John 4, 24, God's a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. And I mentioned that verse in connection. Do you find that the Lord made any reference to the inclusion of convenience? Should we worship Him in convenience? Should we worship Him, for instance, only when things are what we would consider convenient? 
Maybe another example and the one you've already thought of is Acts 24, 25. As Paul appeared before Felix and reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come. Do you remember? Felix trembled, the text says. And he next responded by saying, When I have a more convenient season, I'll call for thee. Paul, what you've said has agitated me. I tell you what, I'll let you know when things are convenient. Now, when Felix responded that way, he was looking for a convenient season. He was looking for a time when things better set upon his heart. Today, what about you and me? Are we waiting for a more convenient season? Are we waiting for that time when things more favorably shall be in order for us? No wonder on that slide you can then tell. That convenient season that Felix waited for, that convenient season that you and I may be waiting for, what guarantees do you ever have it's ever going to come? And on that day of judgment, what would we say? Jesus, I was waiting for a more convenient time. Aren't you thankful the Lord never waited for a more convenient day to go to Calvary? Aren't you thankful the Lord never waited for a more convenient time to endure the scourging and the crucifixion? He simply obeyed and He did what the Father demanded. Might you and I have a heart not to wait for a more convenient season? The gospel, in fact, challenges us as that slide closes with many particulars. I wonder about the folks of Noah's day. He had preached for decades, there's a flood coming. And they had witnessed the rise of this ark right in their very presence because Noah and his family were building on it. And I'm sure some of them may have been prompted to think, I've never seen it rain, I'm going to wait for a more convenient time when I see the evidence. Well, you and I know that God shut the door of that ark and it started to rain. And then, convenience meant nothing. It doesn't matter what they thought, it was too late. That's going to happen to you and me if we wait too long. It's guaranteed that's going to wait, it's going to happen to us. Today, if you and I need to respond to the gospel, don't wait for a more convenient season. January the 12th, 2020 is the most convenient season there will ever be. What about argument number three? There are some who would say, you know, I know exactly what I need to do, but I've got to fix things up with somebody else. There's a rift, there's a tension between me and someone else, and I've just got to get that fixed, and then when I get that taken care of, everything will be cleared and I'll be ready to do what the Lord demands. To fix things up with somebody else... I've entitled it simply to obtain a better situation with someone else. That might be a spouse. I've got to get things right with my husband or my wife. Then I'll be ready to take care of things with God. It's almost as though an order is being presented. I'll fix things up with someone and then I'll take care of God later. I believe we all know the danger in this. And in fact, the danger might be seen from a number of perspectives, but about the middle of the slide might we note this. The best friend we shall ever have to help us with our problems with other people is going to be Jesus. When He said, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee, what He told in Matthew 28, 20, and then reiterated in Hebrews 13, 5, and 6, 
He pointed out there, when we have Him with us, then we'll know exactly how to handle those other situations, whatever they are. To wait to take care of things with others first has everything backward. We need the Lord's help. And in fact, with His help, we can understand how smoothly things might well then be able to go. I've asked you to notice some of these verses. About the middle of that slide, this one in Hebrews 4 verse 16. The power and the majesty of that passage. Aren't we there told that we can have boldness to come before His throne of grace and obtain mercy and find help in every time of need? So when you and I have a time of need, be it in our relationship with others, the Lord's help is the perfect thing then to have. We do it backward if we try to fix them up on our own and then go ask the Lord to be with us. There's not a single New Testament example of anybody waiting in their obedience to God in order to fix things with others first. As Paul and Peter and the others preach the beauty of the gospel, the bottom of that slide points us perhaps to these words of the Lord. In Luke 14, 26, Any man that loves father or mother, husband or wife, or children more than me is not worthy of me. Now the Lord said our devotion to Him has to be first. We will then allow Him to assist us to take care of these relationships with others. But there is no good reason to say, I'm going to wait until I have these things fixed up first. We need to obey the Lord at once. This third example, this third reason that some might give, points us to a fourth one. Maybe you've heard this one again, either from someone else, or maybe you and I have even thought about it. I know exactly what I need to do. The Word of God lays it out so directly, but yet, I just can't right now. I just can't right now because the things in life are not suitable for it. I can't. It's going to have to wait till later. I need a different time in life. The timing of it isn't right. How often do you and I rely upon timing? We perceive a rightness in it quite often, and that timing may point us to carry things out. Well, so it may be in the heart of some as they respond in thinking about God. The timing just isn't right. You know, today just isn't a good day for me to be baptized. The timing isn't right, you know. A little bit of time might come later. Or to be rededicated to the Lord, the timing today just isn't right. Maybe that sense of timing leads us to ask this. As a person might wait for another time, maybe like me, you've known of individuals who there was a point in that person's life when they were very near to obeying the gospel. They even admitted it. It's resting on my heart and mind, and you know, just any moment. But you know, years have now passed. The person has never obeyed, and quite frankly, it now seems likely that they never will. They have no interest anymore in the Bible, no interest in the Lord, no interest in the church. And maybe you've even known of folks who have had their bodies laying in a casket. And they had told you, I'm going to obey the gospel. You can count on it. And now they're dead. And they never did it. Now every good intention in the world will mean nothing at the day of judgment. 
we are not going to be judged on our intentions. We'll be judged on the deeds done in the body. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10. What am I waiting for? If you and I are waiting on anything, you need to rush down this aisle today. There is no reason to wait. As you can see, this better timing in life, there are a number of principles in the Bible that remind us of, of the foolishness of this kind of waiting. In Galatians 6, verses 7 and 8, you may remember that this principle is mentioned to us. Every man is going to reap what he sows. Every person, that one who sows to the Spirit, shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting, but those who sow to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. That's an absolute Bible principle. No exceptions to it. Notice there's nothing said about waiting. What are you and I waiting for? You'll notice as we close near the bottom of that slide, the judgment that the Bible describes is going to be an amazing situation. Every human being who has ever lived will make a presence, an appearance before the absolutely perfect judge of all space and time. And the verdict is going to be drawn from the standard to which that person was subject and the deeds of that person's life. And there should be no arguments. There should be no court of appeals. There should be no means whereby one can challenge the verdict. To those who are told, Thou hast been faithful over a few things, enter thou into the joys of thy Lord, Matthew 25, 21. What joy, what delight, what eternal excitement. But to those who hear the verdict, I never knew you, depart from me. Or to those who hear, though I once knew you, I don't know you now, depart from me into the everlasting fires where the fire is not quenched and the worm never dies. What was I waiting for? It surely must be one of the most tormenting thoughts in all eternity to know I knew what to do and I had the opportunity to do it, but I didn't do it. I waited. And then I died in a car crash or I got cancer and I ended up not obeying the gospel. But I could have. I should have. But I waited. I can't imagine the thought of all eternity with that being on your mind. Waiting for a better time. Reason number five that some might give. There are some who turn their attention to the church. You know, there's a bunch of hypocrites down there. I'm not going to obey now. I see exactly what you're saying. I know what I need to do, but... I've just got to wait until things with that church are a little bit better. Some different people are there, or at least some different circumstances are there. I'm just going to wait. What sense is there in this? What wait I for? You'll notice on that slide, some might have a few particulars. I'm going to wait until there's some different elders or a different preacher. Or I'm going to wait until there's at least a different set of people there. I'm just not comfortable with them. I just don't much care for the way they do things. My friend, you and I on judgment aren't going to be judged. That elder is going to give account for himself, and that preacher will give account for himself, and I'm going to give account for myself. 
I need to be a part of the family of God. That's the only way I can be saved. Ephesians 5.23 Anything else, and I'm lost. And therefore, to wait for something like this. Others, in fact, have even expressed more material thoughts. I'm going to wait till they build another building. I'm going to wait till they pave the parking lot. I'm going to wait till they fix up the particular entrances and the other matters. That's simply foolish. The church isn't the building anyway. The church isn't those particulars. The church is that group of people who love the Lord and who want to go to heaven and who are committed to Jesus Christ as their King and Savior. The church, you see, is not something that should be caused for us waiting. The church, as we read about in the New Testament, again, with open arms, would gladly accept those who would wish to be among their number and who would wish to give their lives also in service to the Master. For that reason, you'll notice near the bottom, don't you find it odd? We don't use this same logic with any other particular in life. You know, I know I need to go to the grocery store, but I'll go whenever they get the front of their building fixed. I need a haircut badly, but I'll go whenever the right people are gathered there in the the haircut office. Makes no sense, does it? Sometimes we can use the flimsiest and most ridiculous supposed reasons to offer some thought for waiting. There's no reason to wait. What wait I for? The sixth and last one today will be this one. I'm going to put it together with number seven. As these two are brought before us, I'm going to wait for God to give me a sign. I know what I need to do, but I need Him to give me the direction and the particular so that I'll know the timing is right. My friend God gave us the sign on a cross outside Jerusalem in the spring of the year 30 A.D. There is no other thing we need to hear from Him. He told us then, this is how much I love you and this is what I want you to appreciate. I'm going to let my son die on the cross so that you can be with me in heaven forever. There is no reason to wait. And therefore, the moment is urgent. Would you revisit with me Psalm 39? These verses were read earlier, starting in verse 4. Lord, make me to know mine end and the measure of my days. What it is that I may know how frail I am. Every one of us are frail. We may appreciate a degree in strength and healthfulness, but may we understand that could be snuffed out at a moment. The psalmist understood in wisdom, Lord, help me to know how frail I am and make me to know the end of my days in the sense that each day, how it could be my last. Verse number 5 goes on to say, Behold, thou hast made my days as a handbreadth, and mine age is as nothing before thee. Verily every man at his best state is altogether vanity. Did you notice? Your life and mine is compared to a handbreadth. You know, there are many particular measures of length. There's a mile, a yard, a foot, but a handbreadth is the approximate width of a man's hand. It was used as a convenient way to measure things that were reasonably short. And the psalmist said, My life is like a handbreadth in your sight. 
so short, so brief. The next verse goes on to say, Surely every man walketh in a vain show. Surely they are disquieted in vain. He heapeth up riches, and knoweth not who shall gather them. And now, Lord, what wait I for? My hope is in Thee. We might pause there and challenge ourselves. What, what am I waiting for? If any of these things that I've listed today have been the thing that you and I are waiting for, please set that aside. They are not good reasons to wait. Whether it be timing, to know more, the particulars about the building or anything else along that line, they're just not good reasons. Verse number 8 then says, Deliver me from all my transgressions. Waiting will not accomplish deliverance. Make me not the reproach of the foolish. I was dumb. I opened not my mouth because thou didst it. Remove thy stroke away from me. I am consumed by the blow of thine hand. When thou with rebukes dost correct man for iniquity, thou makest his beauty to consume away like a moth. Surely every man is vanity. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear to my cry. Hold not thy peace at my tears. For I am a stranger with thee, and a sojourner as all my fathers were. And now verse 13. O spare me, that I may recover strength before I go hence, and be no more. Every one of us are going to go hence, and be no more. Are you waiting? Are you waiting today for some reason to obey the Lord? There will be no good reason. The close of this slide brings us one final mention. You and I sing the matter of this lesson pretty often. Why do you wait, dear brother? That's Song 772 in our book. Why do you wait, dear brother? What are you waiting for? If you're waiting today to obey the gospel, may I say the time has come. Don't wait any longer. If you need to respond to the gospel's call of invitation... Everything in just a matter of moments could take care of whatever the need is in your life, be it to rededicate your life as a wayward child of God or to obey the gospel by putting on the Lord in baptism. What wait I for? If you need to respond, do it now. Fall together we stand and sing.